This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Good morning. You guys doing well? Thanks. I'm, I'm very wonderful. <laughs> Good. Doing well. Doing well. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand so we can get one to you. We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 10 today. would love for you to be able to follow along with us in our Bible study. <clears throat> There's a few things, uh, extra announcements I wanted to let you know about. Number one, um, <clears throat> we finish our seven churches of Revelation, which was an eight-week study right before the trip to Israel that we took, our church trip to Israel. We got back, and we had a couple guest speakers after we got back. The first week I shared about the Israel trip and the current state of Israel, and the week after that, Pastor Tommy Bertoli shared with us last week. And I want to let you guys know, tonight we're going to continue through our study in Revelation. I'm not going to switch it or change books. So we finished the seven churches, which was a series that was standalone, but we're going to stick in Revelation and go through the book together on a Sunday evening. So I'd love for you to be able to come out and be a part of that tonight. That service starts at 6 o'clock, and I know that you will be blessed. Also, it is Thanksgiving week. Do you guys know that? Thanksgiving week. I said this a few weeks ago to you, and I just want to refresh, remind you again, okay? You're going to have conversations this coming week that you've been dreading for the entire year. There's not really any way you're going to get out of it. People are going to say things to you to stir the pot or to mess with you. And I just wanted to remind us as a church, I reminded us about a month ago, and now here we are, just wanted to remind us as a church that we can go into those situations spiritually prepared. And what I mean by that is you don't fight against flesh and blood. You don't fight against red and blue. You don't fight against what the world says you fight against. You fight against principalities and powers in heavenly places. And if you prepare yourself spiritually for that, you're going to be well-equipped because God loves you. He wants you to pray to him, and he wants to answer your prayers. So if you say, God, I want to go into this, this situation with, with my friends and relatives, and I want to be your light, I want to be your salt, I want to be your witness, it is well-pleasing to God to say, I'm going to give you that equipping, even in the spiritual realm, to be able to do that. I'm going to bring things to remembrance. I'm going to guard your mouth or help you guard your mouth. But I wanted to say that to you today because you still have time to seek him. God, be present when we get together. Be a witness through your servant's life because um, most of the time when we're heading to dinner, we're walking up the driveway. We're just thinking to ourselves, I hope this goes as quickly and painlessly as possible. Let's have the right perspective. Let's be praying and preparing to have good conversations that are edifying even to those who are non-believers. Unto Christ, unto coming to know Jesus as their personal Savior because you were a witness and an example of him. Amen? And if you haven't prayed for Thanksgiving, I've got good news. You can pray now. 
and for the next four days. And beyond that, you can start praying for Christmas right now. Because those conversations could quite well come up again a month from now. So you've got ample time for the next step, which the Lord's going to give you opportunity to be a witness for him. Today in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, we're going to do chapter 10 and 11. And the title of today's message is, It's a People Thing. It's a People Thing. What kind of thing is it? It's a People Thing. You guys know people? People. (laughs) People are people. It's a People Thing. And before we get to our word today, our word for the day, let's go through the last nine studies that we did together because it's fun. And we all like listing off the words, right? <laughs> Week number one. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> and I'm still going to do it. Week number one. Purpose. Purpose. Week number two. Contentment. Contentment. Three. Time. Time. Four. Companion. Companionship. You guys are on fire. Five. Rest. Rest. Number six. Reputation. Reputation. Number seven. Wisdom. Wisdom. Number eight. Citizenship. Citizenship. Number nine. Contrast and number 10 and 11 this morning. If you're new with us this morning, what we've done is we study through the book of Ecclesiastes as we have a title to the message, but then we have a descriptive word that we focus on and that we kind of meditate on for the rest of the week, hopefully. And today's word is character. Character. I have been accused of being a character. That's not exactly what we're going to be talking about, but it could be. With the word character, we're going to look at, through these two chapters, seven characters who display character. A character that is evident in their lives that Solomon is warning about and that we can be on guard for or against to be good witnesses of who Jesus Christ is. And I thought about waiting or having you wait till we got to each one to tell you it, but I'm going to do you one better. I'm going to list all seven characters to you, and you'll see their character by their names so that as you follow along and you're taking notes, you can look forward to the one that you're like, oh, I wonder what we're going to talk about when we get there. Are you ready? Here's the seven characters we're going to look at this morning. Seven observable people. Number one, the fool. Number two, the leader. Number three, the worker. Number four, the talker. Number five, the politician. Number six, the provider or entrepreneur. Number seven, the youth. So those are the seven characters we're going to look at. And we're going to look at their character as we go to each one. And we're going to get through both of these chapters And it's going to be a good time in God's word. So let's go ahead and pray together before we dive in. Father, thank you for this opportunity to study your word, God. And thank you for that wonderful worship. We we really want, desire our hearts to be in the right place, to be in a good place, to offer you the fruit of our lips. That we wouldn't be like uh, half salt water, half spring, freshwater brook or creek, because that's not possible the two mixed together, but that we would be pure in in the words that come from our lips, rising up from our hearts, honoring you, blessing you. And it would be not just a song that we sing or lyrics that we say, but it would be worship of our souls for you alone are worthy. We also thank you, God, for this time. We get to study your word. 
We get to apply it. We get to look at it. We get to, to get these nuggets out of it that go along with our life. And we pray, God, that as we, as we take notes, as we are students of your word, that, that it would be as an act of worship. We would, we would sanctify this time. We turn our phones off. We would focus on you, what your word has to say to us. And Father, we pray that you'd bless the tithes and offerings this morning, that the giving wouldn't be done in compulsion, the giving would be done uh, unto you, towards you, with a cheerful heart, and that it would be also an act of worship to you for taking care of us and providing for us so faithfully on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis. So we thank you, God. We pray that you'd bless the fellowship that we get to have with each other after. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So our word for the day is what? Character. What's the definition of character? The mental and moral qualities distinctive to an individual. Running away was not in keeping with her character. What are some synonyms? Personality, nature, disposition, temperament, temper, mentality, makeup. So I'd like to ask you, before we start and look at these seven characters, of which I believe we can identify with at least one, at least one, I'd like to ask you, how would you define your character? Hopefully that identity would be in Jesus Christ, and that's how your character would be formed and displayed to the world. But I'm not going to answer that question for you. I'm going to let you answer it, and I'd like to bring this to your consideration before we look at number one. This list is not for you to be able to pick and choose what type of character other people have. This list is for us to look at and apply to our own lives to see what kind of character we are. Because it's always easier to look at others and point the finger and say, this is how you are. And it's always more difficult to to be truly introspective and look and say, are these issues that I have in my life? So in the heart of transparency, I will share with you a few stories of people that I identify with that I wish that I would do less or not at all because that's the reality of life on earth. No matter who you are, no matter what you do, we all struggle with some of these things and I am okay with talking about some of those issues that I have. Not all of them, just a couple of them. And let's just say those are all I have. Number one, chapter 10, the fool. If you're taking notes, number one is the fool. Dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. This goes along well. Because it wasn't too long ago, a few weeks or so, that we looked at precious ointment in the Bible and what it meant for that day and age. People didn't have deodorant. They would use this precious ointment, fragrances, perfumes to kind of mask um, body odor and scents. And not only was it used for that purpose, but it was very valuable. It was very expensive. You remember Mary went and and broke her jar of precious ointment and put it on Jesus's feet. And there was a little uproar within the disciples. Why is she doing this? And Jesus says she did a good thing. This ointment was worth a year's salary. Some people believe that the ointments were also used as a medium of currency. Some people believe that Mary's was a year's worth of, of, of salary. Some people believe it was her dowry. How much money do you make a year? 
20, 30, 40, 50, 60,000. She took it all and, and literally put it at Jesus' feet. Now, the purpose that we're looking at that is because this is something that had value. It's something that had worth. It's something we see the, the two comparisons um, that we, we make. So does a little folly, the, the contrast is the flying in the, the dead fly in the ointment. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. Who likes flies? All right, fair enough. Thanks for your honesty. One person. Who likes dead flies? Not really. Okay. All right. Yeah, dead flies are okay because they're not buzzing around your face. Who likes flies in their drink? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Love it. Protein. There's two. Two people said that at the same time, just so you know. They weren't copying each other. If you're at a restaurant and you find a dead fly in your drink, what do you do? Uh, Excuse me. I'd like another, please. Nobody's going to be taking in any kind of pleasure. It, it, it putrefies. It, it brings to ruin something that had value. And now the, the, the illustration that's being made here is a person, a person who has honor, a person who's respected for wisdom. And then he says, somebody who is, has honor or is respected for wisdom, who, who allows folly into their life, it's like a dead fly in a soft drink. Not the same, a dead fly in precious ointment, something that has great value. And this is something that, <clears throat> as I was driving home last night, after hanging out with some friends and family for a birthday party, I had said some things around people that I was comfortable that as I was meditating on later, I felt foolish. I felt stupid. I didn't have to say that thing. I didn't have to do that. I was making fun of Ronnie because she was sore, and I punched her in the leg. Not really. It was kind of like a poke, but, you know, she's sore from softball, so I'm going to provoke because it's it's a part of my character. Tease, poke, you know, but then afterwards I'm like, man, you know, like if I have any kind of place of honor in somebody's life and and I do that to them or in front of other people, is that really beneficial for the kingdom of God? I mean, does it really, does it, does it make something that has value? Does it have less value because of words that I say? And I, and I, and I think that I've always remembered this or considered this since I was a little kid. I was, I was a young boy uh, and uh, somebody said to me, hey, Tim, um, it is better to be quiet and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and to remove all doubt. Has anybody ever heard that proverb before? It's not technically word for word the proverb in the Bible. The proverb in the Bible is very close, but it's attributed to some famous people, whatever. But the reason that it resonates in us is because it's so very true, isn't it? It's better to be quiet and to be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. So it could be that I say, God, I don't want to be foolish. I don't want to take something that you gave me as honorable and make it dishonorable. How can I be less like that? How can I identify more with a person that's not like that and that can be perceived regularly and into the future as somebody who has wisdom? Man, Tim used to say stupid stuff all the time, but now he doesn't do it as much. Oh, that's, that's good, huh? A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart is at his left hand. 
You get this idea. It's not talking about, I can make a righty-lefty joke. How many left-handed people don't raise your hand? Raise your right hand if you're left-handed. Just kidding. I just did the joke and I said I wasn't going to. Okay, anyway, the point is, if you're right-handed, where's your strength lie? In your right hand. If you're left-handed, where's your strength lie? In your left hand. But using the opposite hand is just not going to be using it for, uh, for its strength. The wise man's heart is in his right hand. A fool's heart is in his left hand. And, and if, you, if you function as a fool according to your, what, what's not your strengths or, or is in the, your, your least prevalent prevailing hand, it's going to be evident. When, even when a fool walks along the way, he lacks wisdom. And he shows everyone that he is a fool. And this, is, this can be bad, but again, let's, let's keep it in consideration for personal application reasons. Have you ever seen somebody walking down the street before and you thought, man, that, that person's dumb. That person's a fool. Have you ever thought that? I have thought that. I'm being honest with you. But you know what I think of even more so on a regular basis? I, somebody, I see somebody driving down the road and I think, wow, that person's a fool. It's evident. They're, they're, what's coming out of their life is, is, is what is really in their heart. And, and they're not uh, afraid to expose it and let everybody in the world see. I was driving down the road just the other day, and an F-17,050, whatever, the biggest super mega duty that you could get, jacked up on some big old mutters, flies by me doing like 70 miles an hour in like a 35 zone. And, and not only does he fly by me, but I thought that I did something to him because he flies by me and then he cuts in front of me, no blinker. And I thought, man, that guy's a fool. He's going to get in an accident or he's going to get a ticket. Hey, the application is, yes, maybe he shouldn't be driving like that, but there's sometimes that, that I do things that I shouldn't be doing either. So I need to be careful because the way of my actions are going to expose the insides of my heart from the heart of the from the the heart of a man the mouth speaks or a woman but then i realized that as he was going forward he was doing it to everybody he was weaving in and out of traffic going very very fast and no blinkers no brakes no nothing and it was like it was some kind of game and i was like this is not a good idea you know what's the first thing you think if you're in the spirit, you think, I hope he gets pulled over. If you're in the flesh, you say, I hope he wrecks his truck, you know. No, we're in the spirit. Hope he gets pulled over. Hope nobody else gets hurt. And then we're get, coming up to the light, and guess what? I pull right up next to him. <laughs> like, hey, bud, I'm the guy you cut off. We're at the same spot. It's kind of weird. <laughs> hope you have a nice day. Don't get hurt driving like a... The fool's way is evident, how he walks, his path. And how do we walk? How do you walk? What's evident in your character? The abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. Even when a fool walks along the way, he lacks wisdom. Number two, our number two person is the leader. If the spirit of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your post. For consolation pacifies great offenses. Now, 
I didn't put in on a slide what this says in the New Living Translation. I believe the New Living Translation did a good job, but there's two verses on the leader that I wanted to focus on, and, and the NLT was also good for the second verse. So I'll paraphrase the NLT for you. If the spirit of a ruler rises against you, do not leave your post. If your boss is angry at you at work, furious with you, don't quit. Just be quiet. Just be, be quiet and settle yourself down and wait because with time and consolation pacifies great offense. It could just blow over, so to speak, right? The question is leadership. Who are you following? Who are you leading? Are you a follower or a leader? There's an evil I have seen under the sun is an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in great dignity, while the rich sit in a lowly place. This is the verse I had the NLT translate for you. Check this out. This is what this verse is saying. When they give great authority to foolish people and low positions to people of proven worth. Have you guys ever experienced that before? You see somebody who does not deserve a position. They are in the servant capacity and there's a position that they're not qualified for. They have no business being in. They're elevated to that. Solomon says, this is an evil under the sun. This should not be. But then he said he's seen the opposite as well. He's seen somebody who's well qualified, who's wise, who's rich because of their experience and they're brought low. And they're overqualified for a position. You ever met somebody who was overqualified for a position and they couldn't get the position they were qualified for? He says, this is, this is an error proceeding from the ruler. And, and this is what I've seen. I've seen folly being set in great dignity in a position that it need not be while the rich sit in a lowly place. The rich is somebody who's worked for what they have and was successful. I've seen servants on horses while princes walk on the ground like servants. This is a, this is a misappropriation, right? This is people not being in the positions that they really should be. And I looked at this and I thought of this and contrasted it with Jesus, who was a little different, because there's no greater example in all of history that I can think of somebody being in a position that they did not deserve to be in. You have the Son of God sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, humbling himself to the position of the Son of Man. Was Jesus overqualified to be the Son of Man on earth? You know, Jesus said over and over again, listen, the Son of Man says this, the Son of Man says that. He's referring into his humanity in the position that he finds himself in. And does the proverb line up with what we're talking about? No, because the Father didn't force Jesus to be coming down on the earth for the forgiveness of our sins, for his murder, the justification of ourselves through his blood. Jesus submitted himself to the Father and humbled himself. In humility became the Son of Man in position and title to serve those who were lost. This is the example for us, instead of looking at the world standard and being grieved by the fact that people aren't where they should be, are you a follower or a leader? Your response should be both. You are a follower of Jesus Christ and you are leading other people to him. That should be our position in life. And that also takes a degree of humility for us to humble ourselves to be leaders of Jesus Christ for other people. Jesus said, if they treated me a certain way, they're going to treat you a certain way. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ Jesus. 
He says, you follow me, I know where I'm going, and if you follow me, you're going to become a follower of God, but you're also going to be leading people in the right way. Think about that in this season for yourself, where God has planted you, he puts you. He's called you to be his follower. He's also called you to be a leader. Number three, the worker. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and whoever breaks through a wall will be bitten by a serpent. He who quarries stones may be hurt by them. He who splits wood may be endangered by it. If the axe is dull, this is the verse we highlighted, if the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength, but wisdom brings success. We have a saying in English that is just like this proverb. Does anybody uh, know what it is? There was somebody in the first service who knew what it was, what I was alluding to. Does anybody know a proverb that we use today, especially in the construction industries, when it comes to a sharp axe and your strength? Work smarter, not harder. You should have said it. (laughs) Work smarter, not harder. If the axe is sharp, if you take the time to stop and take, I don't want to mess with sharpening the axe and I just want to get this job done so I can go home. But listen, if you stop to sharpen the axe, the tree is going to fall down quicker. You ever worked with a lumberjack or somebody who is an arborist who works with trees? They're cutting down trees with their chainsaw. And then every so often, they take a break. And what do they do? They got this cool little uh, round file. And they sit there and they sharpen. Because they know that if the axe is sharp, the tree's going to fall down faster. What does he say? If the axe is dull, the one uh, and does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength. You get tired faster. But wisdom brings success. What do these verses talk about in regards to the worker? Everything that you do is going to have a reward. Everything that you do is going to have a cost. Let's back up to verse 8. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and whoever breaks through a wall will be bitten by a serpent. Nobody goes to war without considering the cost of going to war. You go to war, people are going to die, period. That's it. You build a tower. Nobody goes to build a tower without considering the cost beforehand. Everything that you do in your day-to-day life, including your your position, your work, you're going to get something from it, and you need to be prepared and on guard for the bad things that can happen as well. I was talking to a brother this week. Hope he doesn't mind me sharing this, but you don't know who he is. I was talking to him, and he was sharing with me about how his whole family is involved in this one industry. And uh, he's the only one in his whole family that, that is not involved in this one industry. But he was telling me how his, his little brother makes uh, over six figures. His dad is over 200000 a year. He makes really good money. And I said, why don't you do it? He's like, because everybody looks at the numbers behind and nobody, for me, I have considered the cost before. And my family members are on pain meds and their bodies are breaking down and they're in positions where they're hot and it's stuffy and it's stinky and it's hard. It's hard work. And and I considered the cost and I have equated that it's not worth it. And I like what I do. I like the position I have. And I said, that right there is a man of wisdom. I said, that right there is somebody who says, it doesn't matter what the dollar signs say. There's going to be a cost to everything that you do 
for the good and for the bad. Yeah, you can look at some of these people who are CEOs of huge corporations. And I was just talking to somebody the other day who is in their fourth marriage. Yeah, they're CEO. They're, they're in the world's eyes. They're super successful to the absolute detriment and putting aside of their family. Is it worth it? It's not worth it. What's the cost? And what is the the value of the things that you put into life? Because you do the same thing if it's not in your career, if if it's something else. There's always going to be something you get from it. We live in a day and age, I think it's very interesting, where we have this internet, social media, and there's all kinds of people who... uh, do this, these MLMs. You guys notice this? Everybody is part of an, an MLM. And what are they doing it for? We're going to get to it. I'm going to talk a little bit more about it. But what are they doing it for? They're doing it for a little bit of extra income. And this is wise. But that is coming up in one of our people in the future. Uh, number four, the talker. The talker. A serpent may bite when it is not charmed. The babbler is no different. (laughs) You ever been bit by somebody? You didn't even ask them a question in the first place. Why are we talking about this? Because I want to talk about it and I'm a babbler. Babble, 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 babble. And you're a terrible person because babble, 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 babble. A serpent may bite when it is not charmed. The babbler is no different. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool shall swallow him up. The words of his mouth begin with foolishness, and the end of his talk is raving madness. Somebody ever been around anybody or talked to somebody that just can't stop talking? None of you guys? <laughs> it's just they talk and go on and on and on and on, and, and it's like there's some way I have to get out of this conversation, but it's not going to happen. And if you don't stop them, or for some reason they're not stopped, and, 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 or you feed into what they're, you're, next thing you know, you're in crazy town. <laughs> crazy town. And sometimes it's easier to be a talker than it is to be an action person. I've determined in my life, I want to be the kind of person that is less of a talk. I want to talk about things after I've done it. Maybe that could be bad too, to to a certain degree. People are like, Damn, you're always talking about things you do. I'm like, well, at least I don't talk about things I don't do and never do it. At least I'm not a babbler. Babble, 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 babble. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about that. This, that. The Bible talks about it because there are people like this. It's there for us not to identify that in other people. It's there for us to be able to identify and deal with in our own lives. The Word of God says that everything that comes out of your mouth, everything that you say has value. Every word is going to be held accountable for. Now, as scary as that is, you also know, serve, love a God of grace, mercy, and peace. But you have an opportunity on the front side to be careful what you say now because you're going to have to give an account for it. You guys know what I'm saying? There's this one guy, a pastor that I know. This is how he used to describe it. Don't know if I'd call him a babbler, but he liked to talk. I wouldn't say babbler, but he liked to talk. His own words, not mine. He's just always talking. And this is not... Of my friend. It's not that, right? My friend has this problem. <laughs> no. 
It's a real person, and he said, sometimes I start talking and I start saying things that as the words are coming out of my mouth, I'm imagining, I, I wish that they had handles so I could reach out and grab them and pull them back, but I know it's too late. Think about it. Think about it before you talk. When you get in that argument with your spouse or loved one, with the family member this Thanksgiving on Thursday, Think about what you're not going to say before you get there instead of what you are going to say. Not prefaced with, if they push me to this point. (laughs) I'm not going to say this unless they bring this up. And they're going to see madness (laughs) if this comes up again. But you know what? Just stop it. It comes up every year. It comes up every time that you're with that person. If not every time, you're both thinking about it. Just rather be wronged. Just be okay with not having that conversation this year. Be desiring to be different than you were, right? Because we as believers in Jesus Christ go through this process of sanctification and we should be becoming more like Jesus, not less like Jesus. So you should have less of a desire to have those conversations this year than you had last year and the next, and the next, and the next, and the next. The words of his mouth begin with foolishness, and the end of his talk is raving madness. A fool also multiplies words. No man knows what's to be. Who can tell him what will be after him? This is very uh, New Testament-esque of, don't say that you're going to go to one city or another city and live there for a year and make lots of money there. Say, if the Lord wills, tomorrow I will do this or that. It's much better you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We looked at, uh, uh, at the beginning of the study of it through Ecclesiastes that, that you are on earth. He is in heaven. God is in heaven and you are earth. Therefore, let your words be few. What does that mean? He knows what's going on. You don't know what's going on. He's preparing you for something in the future. You have no clue of what tomorrow looks like. You have no clue of what tomorrow looks like, but we have all these ideas and these thoughts and these plans, and we want to talk about it over and over again. He's in heaven. You're on earth. When we have that perspective, it should be a regulator for us in the things that we'll do and say, or even willing to commit ourselves to before we even know if it's what God has for us. Because if God doesn't have it for you, you know what he's going to do? He's going to shut the door. He's going to say, you've been talking about this thing a whole lot, and, and it's not even something I have for you. And I'm closing the door. Now what? Now you got egg on your face. you got to go say, God is right. I'm wrong. I don't know what he's doing, but, you know, I know that he's good. If we'll also multiplies words, no man knows what's to be. Who can tell him what will be after him? The labor of fools wearies them, for they do not even know how to go to the city. Number five, the politician. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princess feasts in the morning. Well, talking about land, talking about kingdoms, talking about governments, this applies for us in our type of government system as politicians or those who are in some kind of governing authority. And, and there used to be where bloodline gave kings the opportunity to be kings at a very young age. In fact, there are some um, that we saw in the Bible. 
But this, nowadays, it's possible in different parts of the world. But I see uh, another thing at play here, if you could um, bear with me and, and paraphrase a little. Woe to you, O land, when your king acts like a child. <laughs> we have politicians doing and saying things today, not just in the United States, but around the world, who are acting like children. They get their feelings hurt. And they have all these things to say about their opponents or their enemies. I'm not saying that's right, wrong, or indifferent. I'm not, I'm not trying to categorize anybody. But the truth stands that woe to a land when your king is a child or acts like a child. And your princes feast in the morning. Morning time is not the proper time to feast, is it? On Thursday, what's the proper time to feast? This Thursday, when, when's feast time? Lunch. Two o'clock. Anybody else? Three, four. D- Thanksgiving's usually a little, a little, you know, a little earlier, but it could be six or seven. Now wake up in the morning and start a feast. Blessed are you, O land. The contrast to woe. Be careful. Woe to you, O land. Blessed are you, O land, when your king is in, is the son of nobles and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. What's the purpose of the feast? The purpose of the feast is to get together for diplomacy. The purpose of the feast is to get together for community. The purpose of the feast is to get together for encouragement. It's not for drunkenness. It's not like, let's have a party and all get wasted. No, let's have a party and all get together and figure out how to do things better. For strength and not for drunkenness. Because of laziness, the building decays, and through idleness of hands, the house leaks. A feast is made for laughter, and wine makes merry, but money answers everything. You know, if you look back historically about how many kingdoms that rise and fell, and for a vast majority of civil wars and problems in countries where civil war was brought and division was, was uh, happening on the streets, it's because the elite politicians or those who were ruling, they were taxing, taxing, taxing. They wanted their cake and they wanted to eat it too. And they weren't willing to help the peasant. They weren't willing to help the small people. What does he say? He says, because of laziness, the building decays and through idleness, the, hands, uh, the idleness of hands, the house leaks. They're not willing to invest into infrastructure or help the people who are struggling because they're in their palace, they're doing their thing. And as much as we think that this should apply thousands of years ago, the truth is it still applies today. In the, in the 90s, there was a war that broke up Yugoslavia. Grace and I lived there for eight years. And, and one of the root causes of the war was because all the money was going to one group of people. And there are multiple people that were involved in, in that nation. And their buildings were falling apart. Their roofs were leaking. And all the money went to the capital. And the people were like, this isn't right. We don't want to do this anymore. So what happened? While you and I were watching our Saturday morning cartoons, and I was an elementary junior in high school, um, there was genocide happening in Yugoslavia. Whole villages massacred, bulldozers brought in, holes dug, bodies being dumped into holes. Whole villages, men, women, and children of genocide happening in the 90s that we don't really think about, we don't talk about. Because of the corruption in the government and because of how the leaders were treating the people. Do not curse the king even in your thoughts. 
Do not curse the rich even in your bedroom, for a little bird of the air may carry your voice, and a bird in flight may tell the matter. Have you guys ever heard that before? My mom, I love her, she used to say this to me all the time, and I never really knew where she got it from. I didn't know it was in the Bible, but I would come home from school, and she's like, hey, Tim, I heard you did this today. Hey, Tim, I heard you said that today. I'm like, how in the world did you know that? What would she say? A little birdie told me. She always, a little birdie told me. And what happened? My friends or, or some boy or girl my age's parents were at the school and they saw it. They saw me. They heard me. And what's the first thing they did? Well, they drove home because they didn't have cell phones. <laughs> but they were thinking about it the whole time. And they called my mom and told her. He said, little birdie told me. Or one of my friends or people who I thought were my friends would see or hear me do things that I shouldn't be doing. They would tell their moms. Hey, guess what Tim Warholic did? Oh, thank you, honey. I'll call Mrs. Warholic and let her know. Guess what Timothy did at school today? Tim, a little bird told me. I know what's going on. Be careful. Careful what you do or say. Don't curse the rich. Don't curse the king. Because those things make it full circle. Cast your bread upon the waters, number six. For you will find it after many days. This is the entrepreneur or the provider Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. There's two ways that we can look at this verse. I believe both are valid and both are needed. The one way you can look at this is somebody who is an entrepreneur. And the idea is the NLT translation and commentators say, send your grain across the many waters. Ship export. You export to different countries, and you're going to make a lot of money. The other idea is those who have the gift of giving. And this is something that the Bible challenges us in. God says, test me in your giving and see if I will not give you back more than you could ever manage. Well, you're a good manager. That's why you got it in the first place. More than you can imagine. Test me in this. To sh- send out your boats on many waters. And, and, and this, this is the reality. For you will find it after many days. Give a serving to seven and also to eight. For you do not know what evil will be on earth. There's another proverb in English that I was reminded of when I read this. As far as the entrepreneur goes. Can you guys think of a, a proverb that we have that, that would say something to the likes of give a serving to seven or also to eight? Don't focus on the serving part, but the, the spreading. Don't keep all your eggs in one basket. You're walking down the street, you got a basket full of eggs, and you pile them high because you only wanted to make one trip. And you trip on that rock that's been there, and down goes your basket, and every egg is broken. And what do you have to show for it? A basket full of broken eggs. So he says, give a serving to seven and to eight. For you do not know what evil will be on the earth. Yeah, maybe one or two may fall, maybe three, but you've still got the other four, five, six. This is the entrepreneurial mentality. I've got many things going. This is where I wanted to talk about the MLMs of today. I'm not speaking for or against them. I'm, I'm not... I'm not That's not my point. The point is there's people working hard from their home because they're stay-at-home moms, they're stay-at-home dads, or they're getting home after work and going online to try to make a little extra money to support their families. 
This is an avenue that we really have never seen before, but there's sites like Etsy, online marketplaces, Craigslist. And, you know, the, the person has a job, but then they also, they go and they, and they try to do more for the betterment of others or they, for the giving of more so that they can give more. Verse 3, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or the north in the place where the tree falls, there it shall lie. There are certain things that you can observe that you can be sure of will happen. If the, if the clouds are heavy, you know it's going to rain. There's a projection. You see that this is going to happen, and, and this is going to be the benefit or the detriment, so you act accordingly. Trees are going to fall eventually, and when they fall, they're going to fall in a place, and that's where they're going to be. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. If you're too picky and not willing to get into the game, you're not going to be a reaper. The more you sow, the more you're going to be able to reap, he says. And you do not know what is the way of the wind or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child. So you do not know the works of God who makes everything. Then you also have to take into account that God knows what's going on every day. In the morning, sow your seed. And then evening, do not withhold your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. I like the little highlight for Solomon. You know, it, it, I could see him saying, get up early in the morning, sow your seed. Put your hand to it at night. Because you don't even know if both of them are going to fail. <laughs> I could see him, you know, saying something like that. But he says, you don't know if both of them are going to be good. The point is, there's going to be a benefit to your sowing, so sow as much as you can. I know a brother who had a regular job, and he'd get up early in the morning, he'd go to work, and he'd work hard, and he'd get home, and then that night, he would get on the internet, and he would work online. Another job put his hand to work early in the morning, then he'd get home in the evening and he'd keep working. And who knows, both would, would both succeed. And for him, both did succeed. And it was a good season for him. But we have this idea of however much you're willing to put in, that's what you're going to get out. And this applies also, God says, this applies also to giving. However much you're willing to give, then you're going to get back. And it may not make sense, but the, you know there's a gift of giving for the New Testament church. And the word says that if you have the gift of giving, give. Because there is something to be received from those who are putting much out. For the entrepreneur, for the giver, there is an expectation, there's an expectation of receiving something back. I was talking to another friend of mine. I talked to a lot of people. I was talking to a different friend of mine who's in business this past week. And he said something along the lines of, he was talking to somebody who's in business and said, most of the time, never, nobody ever gets to plan E, right? You do plan A, it doesn't work. Go to plan B, it doesn't work. Go to plan C, it doesn't work. Go to plan D, it doesn't work. Most people stop after plan A. A lot of people stop after plan B. How many people do you know that go to plan C? Have you ever heard somebody talk about plan D before? No, because they've given up. But his, his, his mindset, his mentality is the people who are working on plan E, it's only a matter of time till they're going to succeed. 
because people don't go that far. This is the word for the entrepreneur. This is the word for those who are willing to go above and beyond what the normal person goes, the level that the normal person goes to. And number seven, our last character, what is it? The youth. The youth. Truly, the light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to behold the sun. Why is light sweet, and is it pleasant for your eyes to behold the sun? Why? This is why. Because without light, without light, you cannot see. It's how your eyes were created by God. To be able to see images, you need to be able to have light to reflect what the picture is so that you can see what the projection is, what you're seeing. I went to the optometrist this week to get my eyes checked. I didn't want to. My eyes have been the same for the last 15, 20 years. They haven't changed. But they say that before I can get a prescription, before I can get a new pair of glasses, I have to get the same prescription that I've had for the last 20 years and pay the doctor so that I can get my new glasses. So as, as uh, unfortunate as that was, I set up an appointment, went to the optometrist to get my eyes checked. And this lady was a new doctor that I'd never been to before. And she was the best one that I've ever had. This is the first time in all the years I've had to get my eyes checked that this is what she said to me. She said, your eyes are the same. They haven't changed. I said, thank you very much. Here's your money. I'll be on my way. But she's like, here, but I want to show you a picture of your eyes. I'm like, what? She's got this big old screen. She pulls up my eyeball. She took a picture of my eyeball on the inside of my eyeball. She says, look at this. She's like, this is that area, and this is what it does. And that's that area, and this is what it does. And this is the area that the light goes into to be able to help, you know, it enables you to be able to see, you know, vision for you. I'm like, oh, wow, that's cool. Nobody's ever, no doctor's ever, like, tried to explain anything to me. They're like, wham, bam, thanks for your money. See you later. Go get your glasses that you're going to have to pay more money for. But she's, and she says, look at this spot over here. See this red area right here? I said, yeah. She said, did you ever look in the mirror and you noticed that before? I said, yeah, I have noticed that. I thought there was something wrong with me. She said, there is. I said, well, what is it? She said, most of the time, um, people don't realize that when they have this red area on their eye, this is an overexposure to sun, and it's a breaking down of your uh, eyeball. It's a medical condition that she said. And I said, oh, what, what do I do? Like, is it curable? And she said, no, it's not curable. You're going to die. That's not what she said. But it's true. If she said that, she would have been true. I am going to die someday. She said, no, it's not curable, but I wanted to let you know because it is preventable for it to continue to get worse. And this is what happens. The more exposure that you have without sunglasses, the more it's going to affect your eyes now. And I said, okay, you know, uh, and I'm going to get, you know, I've already got sunglasses. She said, how often do you wear them? I said, every day. I wear my sunglasses when I walk out, and I'm very annoyed if I go somewhere and forget my sunglasses. And she said, you know, good, keep doing that. And um, I can prevent it from, from being worse. It goes back into the tie into this whole thing with the eyes and the light and seeing. I was born in Las Vegas. I grew up here. My eyes are going to be messed up, living in the desert your whole life, almost. But if a man lives many years and rejoices in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness... There's our contrast for those verses. We have light and darkness. Darkness is the seasons that you can't really necessarily see what's going on, right? 
Light is, light is sweet, pleasant to the eyes. Behold the sun. Light is, I'm alive. You open your eyes. I can see things. I can have relationships with people. I have all these things. You know, you can, you can perceive it. But then there's also these, these times of darkness, for they will be many. All that is coming is vanity. Remember, this is to the youth. Verse 9, rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Imagine your little heart saying, go you. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these, God will bring you into judgment. I did like the way that the New Living Translation translated this, so I do have this translated for you here or in a different version. Young people, it's wonderful to be young. It's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want to. Take it all in. But remember that you must give an account to God for everything that you do. This isn't, this isn't to be mean. It's, it's a reality check. When you see people that are youthful, usually they can also be a little reckless. Hey, you do all that your heart says. You, you enjoy life. You look around and, and open your eyes, but there are going to be times of darkness in the future also. There's going to be times of difficulty, and you need to understand that the things you do as a youth are going to affect you. I talk to some people who the things that they've done as a youth have affected them for the rest of their entire life. Think about that. Think about that context. You, you, I don't want to be mean. I don't want to put anybody out. I don't want to make anybody feel bad. What you say to that person could dictate the rest of another person's life. Listen, don't do that. This is what could happen. Be careful. You're going to be accountable. Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart. Put away evil from your flesh. For childhood and youth are vanity. testify. Childhood and youth are vanity. My whole life, all I wanted to do was be older. My whole life. I was single digits. All I wanted to be double digits. Go to school. I'm 10. You're nine. That's like huge. You don't even understand. Yeah. And when I turned 10, I reached double digits. All I wanted to do was be 13. I'm going to be a big teenager now. And then once I was 13, all I wanted was to be 16. And I was 16. All I wanted to be was 18. And when I was 18, all I wanted to be was 21. And when I turned 21, I realized better the value of money. And all I wanted to be was 25, so my insurance would go down. And it was one thing after another. And I'm looking, and, and then finally I realized, like, my life is not going to be as fun if I'm always looking at what's for tomorrow. I'm going to, and then it starts all over again when you have kids. Oh, they're so fun, but they're so little. I can't play with them. I wait, want them to be big. Oh, they're fun to play with, but they don't talk. I want to talk to them. Oh, they talk too much. Please shut up, babbler. I don't want to talk to you anymore. And it's just the same thing repeats itself. So measure it, weigh it, make sure that you're, you're doing well with the time that you have. And then in closing, look at those seven characters. Look at your own character and see what needs to be adjusted today. Number one, the fool. Number two, the leader. Number three, the worker. Number four, the talker. Number five, the politician. Number six, the provider, entrepreneur. Number seven, the youth. 
And I'll share with you where I'm at, the thing, because maybe multiple things, I can identify with multiple of these, but there's one in particular that, that I identify more with, and that there's a little pull on my heart. I want to be a good leader. I want to follow Jesus well so I can lead others well. I want to follow Jesus well so I can lead my kids well. I want to follow Jesus well so I can lead my wife well. I want to follow Jesus well so I can lead our church well. And, and we can go forward and anybody that I meet is because I'm following Jesus and I'm able to be a leader because of it. That's where I'm at. I don't know where you guys are at, but I know that at least one of those applies and there may be something even more personal for you that, that you don't have to share with somebody else, but, but you need to be honest with yourself about. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us today, God. Thank you for being so faithful and consistent to, to teach us, to lead us, to help us, to love us. We so need you today. And once again, God, trying not to overdo it, but once again, we pray together as a congregation that you would prepare our time that we are going to be with friends and family members this Thanksgiving. Whoever, whatever that may look like, whoever we're going to talk to on the phone, whoever we're going to sit down and have a meal with, that we would have our heart adjusted and in the right place to be a good representation of who you are. God bless your church. We are thankful for so much. This week is very special to us. We should be thankful every day, and we are thankful every day, but especially this week, help us to meditate on and consider how thankful we are to be called sons and daughters of the living God, the Almighty, who has redeemed us, called us, and brought us back into right relationship with himself. Bless them, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.